the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Last week, we got one of those statements in the mail that said that, you know, the government wants some more money from you, your tags are expired on your church van. And so I took it up there and got new tags. <laughs> and I came back. And I went to the back parking lot out there with the with the tag. I got me a screwdriver, went out there and to the trailer, and I, I took the, the tags off the trailer, and I put the new one on, and I was sitting there with the old tag. I'm thinking, this thing ain't no good. I don't want nobody else to get it and put it on a vehicle and get us in trouble or something. So I'm thinking, I need to tear it up. And so I, I bent it in half. I don't know what to do with the tag, you know. I'm thinking, I need to go over and throw it in the garbage. The garbage was way over there, you know, down the street, a good walk over there. And I looked behind me, and there was these, just these woods. It's kind of like swampy out there. It's, it's uh, not. I've seen snakes come out of there, and I, so I call it like it's usually underwater a little bit under there, and it's real nasty. And and I'm thinking, no, if I threw this tag out there, it would be be so that nobody would ever go out there. Nobody would go in the swamp to get it. Really, I think I just didn't want to walk all the way to the garbage can, and so I threw the threw the license plate out into the woods. And it went a good ways out there. And then it rolled some. And so it was a good 50 yards out there. And I'm thinking, nobody will ever, that thing will rust out there. Nobody will ever get that tag. But I kind of felt bad, you know. That, that's Some might, people might call that littering. And I'm the pastor. But I was glad that nobody saw me. So how many of y'all know that God's not through with any of us yet? But God is... He will work with you. Because as I gathered my screwdriver to leave, the thought dawned on me that I just put that new tag on the trailer and that new tag was for the bus. <sighs> so I looked around and I found a, a mop handle and I eased out there beating the bushes the whole way underneath all these logs and the deep grass and I'm sure chiggers was getting on me and ticks and everything and, and I was scared of the snakes I had to walk through some mud and, and I made my way all the way out there found the tag, brought it back unbent it and put it back on the trailer and then I changed the tag out on the van but that just goes to show you God's not through with any of us is he? but he doesn't just let us stay where we're at you know He'll straighten you up quick. You can't make this stuff up, can you? <clears throat> Last week we celebrated Jesus' resurrection, and this week we're going to talk about the implications of what his resurrection should mean in our life. We don't just just something, oh yeah, that happened, just something we mentally ascend to. It should be a reality in our own lives. And so we're going to start a new series called Resurrecting My Life. And if you're filling out the blanks and you want to fill out that first blank there on your, your bulletin, today's message, we're going to entitle it, Believe and Cleave. Believe and Cleave. C-L-E-A-V-E. Jesus' resurrection is the foundation upon everything else which a Christian believes. 
Without the resurrection, we're just as hopeless as all the other religions who are trusting in some dead God, right? Our God is alive. He's not inanimate. He's not the figment of some man's imagination. He is real and alive, and he ever lives to make intercession for us, the Bible says. That means he's at the right hand of God, and he's praying for us. And he's also preparing a place for us. See, it's good to have a God that's alive, that wasn't fashioned by your own hands or your own imagination. It's good to have a God that's more powerful than your imagination. Who's actually up there, who did everything. He said it is finished down here, but then he's still working for us up there. He's preparing a place, he says, that where I am, you may be also. He's praying that we would get a hold of these things, of his love and of, of his efforts in our lives, and we would be all on board. We'd be all in. We'll be whole hog for Jesus. And so it's good. And Ephesians 1.14 says, the Spirit, and that's capitalized Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit, is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised. So what did he do? He didn't just leave us alone down here. He gave us his own spirit that came into our hearts when we asked him to come into our hearts. That's what we were doing. We were saying, Jesus be the Lord of my life. And he came in. And we became the temple of God. And then that's to prove to us that we have an inheritance to come. Gives us the inheritance promised and that he purchased us to be his very own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify Him. Man, why don't we just stop right there and praise and glorify God for all He's done for us? I mean, His Spirit is in there to guarantee it. If you're saved, you should know it. You should feel it. You should know that the Holy Spirit is within you. He gave us His Spirit. He gave us His Word. He gave us His name. And He had given us His very own life. Everything that we could possibly desire to have, any tool that we can think of that would help us be more than overcomers in this life has already been given when Jesus said it is finished. He purchased us. And we were translated out of the swamp into His dear kingdom. We've got to begin to see things differently. We've become heirs according to God. We're God's heirs now. we got to begin to see ourselves as children of God. And not just mere mortals. Mere human beings. We are children of God. With all the power of God. Jesus said the works I do shall you do also and greater works than these. Because I go to the Father. Because I send the Holy Spirit. Because I give you my name. Because you are a mighty army for Jesus. We have to begin to see things different. Because he was resurrected. We were resurrected into something new. Something better. We can't just. Oh yeah, ho-hum. Jesus was resurrected. Is your life reflecting the resurrection of Jesus? Now He gives us everything we need. What do we give Him? I thought about it and I wrote down three things. We give Him filters, fears, 
and fiascos. Say filters, fears, and fiascos. What do I mean by filters? Well, you tell somebody, how you doing? They say, what do you mean by that? What, I don't look good? Something wrong? I just said, how you doing? Have you ever talked to somebody and you, man, it's like, I don't know what there's received, but that's not what I said, but uh, we'll talk again. (laughs) But they're receiving everything that you say through these filters. And those filters are there not just by accident, it's because they've been hurt. They've heard things, they've been treated a certain way. There's experiences, life experiences that they've been through that cause them to put up walls and filters. And they think they're protecting themselves by those filters. And that's one of the things we give back to God. Another thing we give back to God is our fear. We come into the equation scared. I don't know if I can give my heart to anybody. I don't know if I can love Jesus. I don't don't know if I can trust to love again. I've been hurt. I, I don't know if I can trust. People have a fear of love. They have a fear of trust. They have a fear of dogs. Why do they have a fear of dogs? Because they've been bit before. Right. And so if you've loved before and you got bit, you're hesitant to love again. We give him filters, we give him fears, and we give him a whole lot of fiascos. Does anybody know what fiasco means? I had to look it up. It's like calamity everywhere you go. It's just like a... Just look at your history and you'll see a fiasco. You'll see a good picture of it because I know mine was. Everything I did was a grand fiasco. It was like lessons learned the hard way. I was the poster child for what not to do in life. You know what I'm saying? Our lives, some of our lives have been so crazy, Jerry Springer's got us on speed dial. You know what I'm saying? Anytime we need a few bucks, we'll call him up and say, all right, I'll come on again, you know. But the good news is we all come with baggage. Jesus' disciples, they came into the equation with baggage. We all come with different degrees of brokenness, dysfunction, and there's just so much to untangle and to unweave in our minds the things that we have believed. Do you know that... Most of us are just a product of what some other idiot told us. I mean, most of us learned sex education, you know, in a locker room somewhere. I mean, we, we just believe what we're told, and we want to blame our parents, but they, they had parents too, you know. Where does the line? I mean, we're all just products, and some of our lives are so ingrained that we would be willing to, to fight to the death to, to argue that they're true, but they're lies. And I'm going to challenge each one of us. I challenge myself. There's things that I believe right now because of a past experience or something that's happened to me that's not true, but I, I would argue with you that it's true. And the thing that I'm going to tell you not to do today is don't argue with the Word of God. Because, see, this is the thing that untangles the web, the web that we have weaved. This is the thing that renews your mind. You know, the washing of of your brain by the Word of God. 
And if, and if you look at something in here and you say, no, I know that ain't true because this happened to me or whatever, you need to rethink. Don't ever say, whoa, I don't believe the if If your thoughts are higher than this, then you're God. I hear people say things like, well, I can't worship a God that would send anybody to hell, or I can't worship a God that would do this or do that. Well, then you think you're God. You didn't get to determine who you worship. But the truth is, there's one God, and he, you get what you get. He is who He is. He makes no apologies about who He is. And He need not make any apologies because His Word is true and it's good. And if you don't think it's good, it's just because of your understanding is weak. And when we argue with the Word, we're arguing with truth. And the quicker, after we received God's Spirit into our heart, the first thing we can do to begin to resurrect our life is begin to at least admit that the Word of God is the truth. And that if, I have, if I'm at odds with the Word of God, it's because my understanding isn't where it needs to be yet. And we need to give God's Word the benefit of the doubt because it's the tr absolute truth. Most of us, if you're here today and you keep coming back, it's because you've had a Christ encounter. That's what, that's what we do. There was a Samaritan woman that had an encounter with Jesus at Jacob's well. A chance encounter, you might say. You know, she didn't know she was going to meet him there, but are there really any chance encounters with Jesus? She showed up one day with her water pots, just going through her normal routine, and there was Jesus sitting at the well. Well, one thing I find out about this woman is she's kind of sassy. She talks back to Jesus. She argues with Jesus. I don't know if she was just being rude. We, you know, when you see a text, you can't tell the real emotions going behind it. So when you read it in the Word, you can't really tell. You weren't there. But either she was really sassy or maybe she was flirting with Jesus. I don't know. I don't, she was arguing with him some kind. She was bantering back and forth with Jesus. And uh, <clears throat> she had apparently some kind of religious background because He's trying to tell her the truth. And what is she doing? Well, you know, our fathers say this, and tradition is this, and this. she's arguing religion. And I can't tell you how many people I, I try to tell about Jesus, and, and the first thing they want to do is, you believe in getting sprinkled or fully immersed? You know, they want to talk about baptism. <laughs> they want to talk about, uh, you know, y'all have pews or y'all got chairs, you know. It's <laughs> just off topic and that's kind of religious things talking you know not getting down to the to the relationship part and that's the way she was she wanted to talk religion but jesus was hitting her with the truth and he really hit her with the truth when she says well i'm gonna go get my husband and he, he said you ain't got no husband you living with the guy and you done had five husbands well actually he told her go get your husband but but she had wrecked her life by a bunch of bad choices. Do you know religion is not what you need? Religion and, and willpower to be a better person is never going to help you be a better person? I said a mouthful right there. Religion, just talking about churchy things, even maybe going to church, is not going to change you. 
It was that in that real encounter with the real Jesus that rocked her world. Just a few minutes and she listened to him and realized that he is the water who gives everlasting life. He is the well that we must drink from. And it changed her and it rocked her world. And she thought to herself, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know the Christ was really like this. I thought it was just the, the, my thoughts that I had co- collected about the religious thing, the religious processes. But when she met and had an encounter with the living Jesus, she says she left her water pots and she went immediately back to town and started telling folks. Started spreading the gospel. She came with these water pots, and that was all she had in the world. She was just going through the motions. And how many people today, maybe you're just going through the motions, just filling up your stuff. Back and forth every day. Can't wait till Friday. Dreading Monday. Talked about that last week. And we got our water pots, and we're going, and we have an encounter with Jesus, and, and hope is sparked. What if this is so much more than I thought it really was? And we talk about she was at Jacob's well, and I thought maybe we should talk about Jacob for a minute. The name Jacob, he had lived, you know, many hundreds of years earlier. But the name Jacob means swindler. It means somebody who's always trying to position themselves and outdo somebody and get their way. And Jacob was living up to his name. He wanted his blessing now. He wanted all this world had to offer. And you know what he did? He tried to steal it from people. He was conniving. He would do whatever it took for him to get ahead. His own brother, he stole his own brother's birthright and his own brother's blessing. You remember the story? His brother came in hungry and he had some red soup. And his brother said, give me some. He said, no, you're not getting none of this unless sell me your birthright. The birthright meant that when his father passed everything that he had was go to the to the first brother and he sold his birthright for that bowl of soup that's another whole message right there but it was jacob doing the swindling and then later when his father was old and blind and he was about to pronounce a blessing and he wanted he called for his oldest boy and he wanted to bless him and he said son go kill me some game and come back and then I'm going to bless you. And the oldest boy Esau went off to kill some game and he was going to come back. And then Jacob slid in there put and put some lamb skin on his arms and neck so he smelled like his brother because his brother was a, a hunter and a, a manly man, you know, and, and he was just like a, a wimp in the tents, you know. But <clears throat> he put some lamb skin on so it was a little rough and stuff. And he came and... uh and his dad was blind, so he's like, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. And then they gave him, his mama had got in on the conniving with him and, and made some stew that's, you know, and fed him. And, and of course, a man to go with anything, you feed him. <clears throat> he's all right, all right, I'm going to bless you. And he blessed, and he stole his brother's blessing and his birthright. Conniving. But you know what? When you do those kind of things, you have to run from what you've done. That's the way you're going to live. You're going to have to run from what you've done. His brother was going to kill him because of it. Maybe that's the way you've lived your life. Anyway, he takes off and he goes to another town. He finds his uncle Laban and he ends up uh, getting connived himself. 
His uncle Laban. How, how many knows if you're going to be a swindler, there's always a bigger swindler than you out there? <laughs> he worked seven years for Laban's youngest daughter, Rachel, only to find that he got connived by his uncle. And long story short, he ended up with his Leah, his older daughter. So he had to work another seven years for Rachel. Fourteen years of his life stolen because he's running from what he's done and he's trying to connive, but there's always bigger connivers out there. And finally, he's running away from Laban and he's sleeping on the banks of the Jabbok River one night and a man begins to wrestle with him. And he realizes as he's wrestling, this is an encounter with God. He's wrestling with God. And he wrestles and he wrestles. And he's probably trying to overtake God at first. That's what we try to do. We try to be bigger. We try to be God. We try to wrestle God off the throne. He's wrestling with God only to find that he ain't going to beat God. But somewhere in the encounter, he just begins to, I bet I, I can almost see him begin to snuggle wrestle. You know how you did with your little kids when they were three and four and you wrestled them on the ground and you put your face all in them and they was whooping on you, but you was loving on them? He began to see how good God was, I believe, while he wrestled with God. And, and when it became morning, God says, let me go. It's getting daylight. I'm tired of wrestling with you. And Jacob wouldn't let go. He held on to God and he said, I'll not let you go till you bless me. And you know what he did? Jacob, who was trying to steal everybody else's blessing, found that that wasn't the way to go. He needed his own blessing. And your own blessing only comes from one location. It's from wrestling with God and finding out that He is good. And your blessing must come from God Himself. Then I think about Zacchaeus. Many of you sang that song when you was in Sunday school when you was little. We little Zacchaeus. He was a, a small man. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And I don't know if it was because he was small and he was trying to overcompensate or whatever, but tax collectors of the day, they were, they were Jews that were working for the Romans. And the Jews hated the Romans. The Romans were in charge. And he kind of like was working for the Romans and he was, tax collectors were known for taking too much taxes and stealing what they wanted to, putting their hand in the pot, and, and they were rich. Because they were doing wrong. And maybe you've lived your life like that. You were out for the money. And Zacchaeus, he had plenty of it. But he heard Jesus was coming through town. And he went and he climbed a sycamore tree so he could get a better view. And he's looking. And Jesus sees him probably before he sees Jesus. How many knows Jesus sees you? See, I don't know why Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus. He already had everything this world had to offer. He was rich. He had the big house. But I think maybe deep down inside, none of that means anything without Jesus. I think maybe he despised who he had become to get the riches that he had acquired. So he climbs the tree and Jesus sees him, comes over and says, Zacchaeus, how about we eat supper at your house tonight? 
Zacchaeus jumps out of that tree and he is a happy man. And Jesus comes to his house and all the religious people, oh, you can't go in the house of a sinner or a tax collector. Look, Jesus said, I didn't come to heal those who think they're well. I came to heal the, the sick. And some of you need to get a hold of that because there's a lot of teaching and preaching going around now that we have to be so holy that we can't touch anything in this world. If we can't touch anything in this world, how are we going to save anything in this world? But anyway, Jesus went in there and Zacchaeus, just the, the presence of Jesus in his house, it just caused him to shout out, man. If I've stolen anything, I'm going to pay it back fourfold and I'm giving half of everything else I got to the poor. And Jesus said, I tell you what, salvation has come to this house today. He had an encounter with God. He had to climb a tree. Maybe you need to climb a tree and get a better look, get a better perspective of what your life is becoming. Get a better perspective of who Jesus is and what he wants you to be. He wants to radically change your, think of how excited Zacchaeus was that Jesus came to his house. And think of the implications for his house, for his wife, for his children. And then lastly, I wanted to mention the encounter that Mary Magdalene had with Jesus. Now really, if you study Mary Magdalene, I'd like to say that she was the one thrown at the feet of Jesus, you know, caught in an act of adultery. I'd like to say that she was the one that broke the alabaster box and poured the perfume on his head and, and cried over his feet and wiped, wiped his feet with her hair. But really, the Bible doesn't say that was Mary Magdalene. I thought it was. And I may have preached it in the past. But researching it, it doesn't say that. But many people think that that might have been her. But it doesn't actually say that in the Bible. So you can suppose that if you want to. All the Bible tells us is that Mary Magdalene was a woman whom, from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. That leads you to suppose also that maybe... Mary Magdalene, she probably didn't have any idea of God. She had no concept of religious things. You know, like some of the others, sassy Samaritan woman, she, she had a religious background. But, but some of us, we don't know nothing about God. We just down here, this is, our parents didn't teach us nothing. We didn't go to church. We just doing our thing. We end up with seven demons on us. Because I'm telling you that a soul left to itself with no godliness and no, if we, we, we just think we came from pond scum and we evolved into monkeys who got up and started walking around. If that's what we see of ourselves and that's what we believe of ourselves, that's what we'll, ri we'll rise to the level of what we see of ourselves. We'll act like savages with no purpose and no home. And then we'll welcome the things of this world and the devil is all too welcoming. Oh, you got room in your house? I'll come in. And this poor Mary Magdalene had found herself with seven demons. And I don't know when it happened, but Jesus had cast those demons out. And when we look at Mary Magdalene's life through the Gospels, we see the few encounters. She's always there. She is cleaving to Jesus. She is holding on to Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, you see her. You see her at the cross when the disciples were hiding away somewhere. You see her gathering the spices. She was the first one at the tomb on the day he was resurrected. She cared enough to get there before daylight. And she told the gardener, 
if you've taken my Lord somewhere, tell me where it is and I'll go get him. Oh, see, Jesus explained that those who have been forgiven much love much. And Mary Magdalene had been forgiven at least from seven demons, the things that it took for her to acquire such a demonic life. And she was on fire for the Lord. And she would not leave His sight. She was there for Jesus to the end. And that's what I want to talk about today. There's a saying that when I, you know, I used to play golf and I would, I could hit the ball a long way when I was a young man. I'd hit it and I'd drive it way out there, you know. And the guy I was playing with, he was a better golfer than me. He'd hit it. He wouldn't be go as far as me and I'd be bragging. Yeah, I got you this time. I, he said, it's not how you drive. It's how you arrive. <laughs> It'd take me six more shots to get down to that par four. I'd hit it all over the place. And, you know, he'd be straight down the middle like Brother Tom. He, Brother Tom straight down the middle every time, you know. It's consistent. It's not how you drive. It's how you arrive. It's not where you've been. It's where you're going. It's not who you've been. It's who Christ is making you. You may have gotten a good start. You may have been one of those who was good off the tee. You went to church when you was little. Your daddy was a preacher, this and that. And you and you thought because of all this, I'm, I've got it made. But it's not how you drive. It's how you arrive. you got to finish the race. you got to finish your course. And Jesus' resurrection has made it possible for us to stay true to the end like Mary Magdalene. If she could do it with seven demons cast out of her, what could we do? God gives us a forgiveness, a fresh start, and one of the things He does is He opens up eternity to us. I don't know if you understand what I mean by that. Before I knew Christ, I didn't think about eternal things. I thought about here and now. I didn't want to think about death because it was scary. I didn't want to think about what happens after this. I was basing my life on right now. How much money I had to bank right now. What was I doing right now? I could only see right now. But when I I received Christ and I was resurrected, I was placed in Christ. And Ephesians 2.4 says, God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much. And I could stop and preach on that for a year. He loves you so much. He's rich in mercy that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Jesus from the dead. That power that raised Christ from the dead raised you from your spiritual death. It says it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and He seated us with Him in heavenly realms. Because we are united with Christ Jesus. What do you mean? I'm not sitting up in heaven. Positionally, you are. If you're in Christ, it's already a done deal. Faith is now. God sees the end from the beginning. He's not in time, space, and dimension. It's right now to Him. You are in Christ. And if He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, you are too, positionally. It's not yet, but it's coming. So you can begin to see from that perspective. In Ephesians 
One, I think it is, talks about that we're part of the body of Christ. And all things are under His feet. And looking down from a heavenly perspective, we see that we win. And that opens up eternity. That opens our mind to new realms of possibilities. We're not chickens pecking around in the dust anymore. We're eagles soaring on the wings of God. On the currents of God, we soar above our problems. Not that we don't have problems, but we can just see beyond them. And we can live beyond them. We've got a new perspective now. So in light of all these things, what is our responsibility? What, what do we do, Pastor? How do I begin to develop these things? I'm glad you asked. That's where we get the title of today's message. Your responsibility is to believe and cleave. Cleave means to come together. In Genesis, it talks about a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. It really paints a picture deeper than I want to go into. <laughs> to cleave. We're to believe and cleave. Say believe and cleave. Do you believe it? <clears throat> we believe in Him, His finished work, what He's doing in us, and we must be humble enough, like I said, to believe in that Word. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world. We were conformed to this world, but now be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, the untangling that we talked about. That's your responsibility, to begin to believe the Word of God. And I'm telling you, the Word of God paints so much better picture of who you are now as a who you were before you met Him. And then the most important thing we can do, people, is to cleave to Jesus. When you got nothing else, I've learned this. There's been times like kidney stones hit me or something, and I can't think for myself. That's why we need one another. There's times that life gets so hard that you need somebody else to pray for you. My brother's going through something so thick and deep right now that I feel like I'm interceding for him. He can't pray for himself. And others are having to pray, and he's just holding on. That's why God gives us the body of Christ. And But we there's times that all I could do was... I remember one time a kidney stone had me crawling like a dog around the coffee table, trying to find some relief. And I couldn't say nothing but Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it got me through. I can't tell you how many times. It says you call upon the name of the Lord, and what happens? You get saved. It doesn't just mean spiritually. It means from every situation. There's, there's so many situations I could tell you about. There was a guy named Isaac Bruce was a wide receiver for uh, the Rams. Thank you. <clears throat> Got a sports expert over here. <laughs> he said he was in a car wreck. And he said, he said, I was, the car was flipping. He said, all I did was say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And, and he didn't get hurt. And he told the news media that. And they just made big mockery of that. You know, made him seem like he was one of those wacky Christians. But he was one of those wacky Christians. <clears throat> and he's alive. So... <laughs> But the most important thing we can do is cleave to Christ. 
John 17, 3, Jesus says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Y'all are not getting it. This is eternal life. Not when you get to heaven, far off. It's right now. Eternal life is to know Jesus. To know Him. Paul says that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. And then he goes on to say the fellowship of His sufferings. Well, I don't want no sufferings. I'd rather have sufferings with Christ than live in a palace without Him. Because I know even in His sufferings, all things are working together for my good. I trust Jesus and I cleave to Him and I believe in Him. For those of you who were saved last week who came back and we gave you a gift bag, there's a video that I gave you a little card in the bag among other uh, pamphlets and stuff in there. And it says, please watch this video that I've prepared for you. And the URL address is on your bulletin today. And even though you're already saved and everything, I, that's the pastor's challenge today on the bulletin is that you would watch that video. Why don't you watch that video? It gives seven things that, that you should do after you get saved. Some of you have been saved 40 years. You ain't got to the second one yet. So, I don't know. so, read, so watch the video. No, just kidding. But it gives seven things that you should do. But in the end, it's all summed up in this. There are seven things that help you come to Christ. Seven things. The most important thing that we can do, if we did nothing else in our life, is to have a, a true, real, cleaving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we were created to do. Everything else flows from that relationship. He will give you everything else you need. Our responsibility is to believe. And to cleave. We're not called to be achievers. We're called to be believers, right? It's not about having all this great willpower that I'm going to patch up my old life. I'm going to be better than I used to be. You know, I'm not going to be like that anymore. I'm going to try harder. <laughs> no. Yourself will never be any different. It's your new creation in Christ Jesus. Who, this new you who has the ability through Christ all the promises of God are yes and amen in Him. None of the promises are outside of a relationship with Jesus. But they're yes and amen in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Stop thinking the old way. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. Man, if you're saved, let that old man stay in the grave. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. See, I'm in Him and He is in me. So I live this earthly in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God, believing who loved me and gave His life for me. He cleaved to you, and we need to cleave to Him. Believe and cleave. Jesus turns our greatest weaknesses into our greatest strengths. You see, I used to live for myself and wallow in a pity party. 
But now I wallow in Jesus and I live in a Holy Ghost party. Which one do you want to do? I used to do a lot of things. I used to throw license plates in the woods. <laughs> but that was last week, Geraldo. And I threw milk out in the street that time. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> it was 2%, didn't matter. I only threw 98% milk out in the Romans 6, 4 says, For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Say new lives. I have a new life. I'm a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm new. I'm new. you got to see yourselves as new. Can we just experience a risen Christ in our hearts and walk away the same as we used to be? There was this sassy woman at the well, but hey, she sassayed off to begin to tell somebody. Jacob found his own blessing. And he got his name changed to Israel. Israel means upright. It means he who wrestled with God and prevailed. Zacchaeus, he had faith to climb a tree. And now that little man can truly see. <laughs> Mary Magdalene, she followed after Jesus most faithfully. She was there till the end. I don't know if she was the one that broke that alabaster box over his feet and poured that expensive perfume on him. I don't know, but it just seemed like something she would do. It seemed like something we should all do. No Judas over there of all people. We should have got that money and gave it to the poor. He just said that because he was carrying the bag of money and he wanted to steal out of it. Those people talking that religious mess, they're in it for the wrong reason. Jesus said, I tell you what, you'll have the poor with you always. But you won't have me always. And this thing that this woman has done for me, I tell you what, it's going to be remembered forever. In Matthew 6, um, excuse me, Mark 16, 9, talking about the resurrection of Jesus, it says, when Jesus rose, early on the first day of the week, on that Sunday morning, he appeared first. To Mary Magdalene. Out of whom he had driven seven demons. There's so many reasons why you know that the resurrection is true. Because if you were just writing a story and you wanted people to believe that you were raised from the dead. And this is, this is all just made up stuff. Back in those days, women's testimony wasn't even valid in court. Why would, it, why would he first appear to a woman? But I'll tell you. Because it wasn't about... What, trying to look good. It was about being good. It was about loving that woman. It was about her dedication to Him. He revealed Himself to the one who had been forgiven much, who loved much. 
And if we're willing to break our alabaster box over Jesus and love him unconditionally, believe him and cleave to him, that he'll reveal himself to us first. The Bible says many who are last now, they might not be big in the world's sight. They might not have Zacchaeus' money. But they'll be first in the kingdom of God. Because they believed, because they cleaved. And the disciples, they came with that brokenness and dysfunction. But after they got filled with the Holy Ghost, they had a boldness. And the same people that had Jesus crucified, those chief priests and the religious leaders and teachers of the law, those religious folks. It says in Acts 4.13 that now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Well, see, they didn't see the boldness of Peter and John before Jesus' resurrection because Peter and John was gone. They was out of there when they sent the soldiers. But now that they have seen the risen Christ and that the Holy Spirit, He had breathed into them. The risen Christ had came into the room and He breathed upon His disciples and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And now they're bold in their witness. It says when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. These guys hadn't even been to seminary. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. That's the difference maker. So you can go to seminary if you want. You can think it's all about knowledge. You can learn all the rules and regulations and and try to heap a bunch of mess on everybody else's relationship with Jesus. Or you can just have one for yourself with Jesus. You can just simply believe and you can cleave unto Him. Don't you think He'll show you if you get in error? What will your story be? If you've been walking with Jesus, it'll soon be evident. If you hadn't been walking with Jesus, well, that'll soon be evident too. Wow, I've been preaching a long time. Let me finish that story about the license plate. Y'all thought it was through. It was a, please let it be over. No, but no, I was I was thinking. You know, I just think about things, and I think that our life is a lot like that that bent up license plate that got chunked out into the swamp. We don't even know how we got out there. But we know there's snakes and danger all around. And it's a lonely, dark place. Drip. It's it's weird. Uh, We call it. It's bad. (laughs) And surely nobody's going to come out there and get us. I mean, we probably only got a couple of months left on our, our worth anyway, right? Had to go get a nine. We don't know how many how many months we got left, do we? We don't know how long we'll be here. We don't know when our tag expires. Surely nobody's gonna come down here and go through all it takes to get out to me in this swamp. Nobody's gonna do that for me. 
what Jesus did. He came down out of heaven and he came through this, this world. He endured the swamp. And the snake bit him. And he died, but not before he flung that license plate into a different locale. He translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And then all the swamp monsters were rejoicing. We killed the king. But on the third day, the party began. And the party in hell ended. And Jesus came out of the swamp with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And all who believe and all who cleave to Jesus can party from here on out. That your life is going to be resurrected. That you just got to stay with Him. Stay the course. Keep running. Fighting the good fight of faith. Never quit. Keep coming back to Jesus. I know you, you started out strong. You drove well, but your next shot went over into the woods again. Well, go hit another shot. Jesus knows where you're at. He knows how to get you where you're going. Stay with Him. Ask for forgiveness. Keep running back to Him. God has got this for you. All things are new now. Get it in your brain. You're not just some number down here. You mean everything to Jesus. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.